Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. S2 is the official cognitive evaluation in sports, from youth to pro, where athletes and coaches build to win. As you guys are probably aware, this is the bonus episode of the interview with former LSU head strength and conditioning coach, Tommy Moffitt. We had so much to cover that we had to split it up because it ended up being so much content. If you missed the first episode, we link the episode uh, in our description, or you can head to s2cognition.com slash podcast to find that episode and previous episodes of other podcasts. We dive into his personal life, coaching with Nick Saban, his time at the U when they were actually the U, and so much more. Thank you for listening to the S2 Cognition podcast. The Tommy Moffat bonus episode comes at you next. Okay, so we got Tommy Moffat here. You were born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, more specifically Springfield. Would you move back here? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's God's country, and um, it's definitely something that Jill and I and the boys have talked about. In fact, I came close uh, a couple years ago buying a piece of property there in Springfield, Um we didn't know what we were going to do if we were going to, you know, use it as a, a bed and breakfast or a place, maybe some, not a bed and breakfast. So we call it Airbnb or uh, it be a place that we, we retire someday. So I don't know. How close are, how close are the boys to, to Tennessee? Well, so, yeah, so they, you know, they like Tennessee a lot. We've spent a lot of time vacationing there. Clay was born in Knoxville. Um, so they, they like Tennessee a lot. They really do. Uh, you know, their cousins and aunts and uncles are all there. And, uh, you know, they're probably more fond of East Tennessee, you know, as far as uh, us vacationing there a lot. You know, we've been in Norris. In fact, we're probably going to go to Norris at some point in late July before Brady starts school. Because uh, we like Norse Lake. Uh, I love Norse Lake. In fact, uh, I wanted to buy a place there a long time ago. We actually looked and I found the spot and uh, thought that we were going to buy it. But Jill chickened out because Jill likes the beach. You know, so uh, I struggle with that a little bit. Uh, a day at No the beach, beach in Tennessee. No, well, there is. Norse Lake has their beach. You're going to call that a beach? All right. Yeah, that's a beach. But uh, it's a lot cooler there than it is uh, the beaches down here. So I kind of like that. Yeah, there's a lot of rumor on the street when I joined the company was you're a big Raising Canes guy. And that was the plan, right? You're going to come back up here and pop open the first Raising Canes yeah. in Nashville. Hey, is there still not a Raising Canes in Nashville? Not yet. That's amazing. With all the hot chicken joints, I think they probably feel like they would have to compete. Yeah. but. I don't think there's any competition, really, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and I like my Nashville hot chicken. I, I actually have a jar of uh, hot chicken sauce in the refrigerator here that I got uh, on a trip to Nashville one time, and I've kept it. And uh, we drizzle it on some chicken every once in a while. It's so hot. Mm. It is <laughs> hot. Do you have a favorite uh, local hot chicken place? Uh, I, you know, Hattie B's, I guess you got it. You know, Hattie B's is the original, I guess. Um, this brand I have is called Coops. Okay. Coops. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but whew, it's hot. But I would say Hattie B's. You know, Nashville's, a, it's got some great places to eat, man. I think it's kind of underrated as a... Uh, a foodie destination. So I'll just uh, ask all the bachelorette parties that come here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. So Clay's getting married. So for the fourth, uh, his buddies, uh, their bachelor party is going to be in Austin, Texas. You know, that everybody has a destination bachelor and bachelorette party. And Brooke and her friends are coming to Nashville. Uh, so can you talk about your athletic background and initially how it helped into the, I guess, a transition to strength and conditioning? Yeah. Did you always yeah. know that you wanted to get into that? 
You know, I kind of did. So I grew up, uh, you know, with a house full of boys. Um, and my older brothers, I had three older brothers that, you know, were involved in athletics. Um, we had a like a gym in the basement. We had a weight kind of a weight room, you know, that my dad had fabricated out of metal. Um, and playing football in high school and I, I played football and I wrestled. And, you know, growing up, I thought wrestling, I wanted to go to college and wrestle in college. That was my goal. Football, I mean, I loved football, but there was just something about wrestling uh, that I liked more. I guess it was the one-on-one -on -one competition or something. Uh, but that didn't work out. So uh, I got to go to Tennessee Tech uh, to play football. And my strength coach while I was there, uh, his name is Jack Williamson, still lives. He lives in Mount Juliet still. Uh, Jack, um, it was everything about him, his attitude, his effort, you know, his passion for what he did kind of, you know, like groomed me to be a strength coach. And back then he had his strength and conditioning journals and it was in the second drawer on the right hand side of his desk. And when he wasn't in his office, I would sneak in there and I would <laughs> take out his strength and conditioning journals and go back and read them and then sneak back in his office and open his drawer and put him in there. So I knew uh, while I was in college that that's what I wanted to do. And I set a course uh, to doing that. You know, when I first went there, I was an electrical engineering major, but there was no way I didn't, there was, you know, I, I would had to study night and day to, to play football and to be an electrical engineering major. So then I changed it to criminal justice because I thought it would be cool to be, you know, a secret service agent or FBI. And, um, you know, and I just, there was every day I'd go to class and I would sit through another liberal arts class. And I was like, there's just no <laughs> way I can do this. So I changed my major to health and physical education. And, you know, it, my life changed for the better immediately. Uh, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. You just got back from a hunting trip. Did you bring home anything uh, nice? No, I broke home. I brought home a broken firearm. <laughs> uh, that's all I did, you know? Uh, so I was, uh, I was hunting some feral pigs. We have a serious pig problem down here. So I'd been watching one on my uh, cell phone camera for a couple of days and I knew exactly where he was. So I took my gun in my night vision and I went out there and I climbed up in the tree and uh, I turned my, I turned everything on. I did a systems check and everything was perfect. And so I turned the lights off and, you know, it was 10, 10 30 last night and you can hear pigs when they come in, they make, they're loud they were about 60 yards away, but you can hear them. You can hear them crunching corn. You can hear them bashing through the woods. So I turned my IR illuminator on and I looked through my scope and everything was fine. Then it just went black. And so after about an hour trying to get it to work, I couldn't get it to work. So I climbed down <laughs> and came home. So I came home empty handed. Mama's <laughs> going to be mad. No tacos. Uh, so what are, what are your three boys up to uh, right now? Yeah, so uh, Clay, uh, he graduated from LSU with a finance degree, and uh, he is a um, an estate planner, you know, finance. He does personal wealth and finance for people. Uh, if he's got my retirement, he better take care of it. Uh, <laughs> You know, so Aaron, uh, he's Aaron, still, still making money off of dad. Yeah. Still making money. How about that? He'll call me up. Hey dad, the stocks are really low. Now's the time to buy. Bye, you bye, know, bye. Buy yeah. And I'm thinking commission, commission, commission. <laughs> when he started out, uh, you know, it's tough when you start out in that business and you really, you know, you're developing your book. And one of the things that he did to supplement his finance business was sell insurance because he works for a local company and they have, 
you know, multiple uh, arms within, the, you know, departments within the company. And so one of the ways that he supplemented his income was selling insurance. So I've got so much insurance right now, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Whatever I have to do to help the boys. But, uh, but Clay's doing good. Clay uh, is getting married. He and Brooke are getting married in January. And uh, he's doing, you know, he, uh, you know, he's like me. Uh, he's got, I mean, he's very passionate about the finance. He loves it. Uh, he really loves what he's doing, but he, he likes training people. So he's got a group of uh, professional uh, baseball players. Uh, he's got uh, some professional football players, and then he's got um, an elite group uh, of collegiate baseball players and a couple of high school players, local, um, that he trains also in addition to doing his finance. So he gets up early in the morning, meets the guys at the gym, uh, trains the pro guys in the morning, and then he goes to his office and does his work. And then in the afternoon, he gets off work and goes back to the gym and trains the collegiate and some of the high school, some of the more elite high school players in the area. So, you know, he's still doing a little bit of training and probably always will. And is heavily involved in some of the things that I've been working on because of his passion in that. Uh, Aaron finished his, uh, Aaron, my second son finished an internship at Baylor and, uh, now he's actually, and I'm really, I'm really happy and proud for what he's doing. He's uh, coaching at Catholic high school. Um, so he started there in June. Uh, he's a part-time, you know, they have a great strength coach there. Matt Bruce. Uh, is their strength coach, but Aaron is helping Matt in the weight room and he's coaching the defensive line. Uh, so he's kind of, you know, his, you know, and he wanted to go right into college and I can understand that, but uh, it worked out to where he's actually back home in Baton Rouge and coaching locally, kind of following in dad's footsteps, you know, and he loves it. Uh, he, I mean, he loves it. And, um, so then last Brady is going to be a senior uh, at Catholic high this year. So it's kind of crazy because middle brothers coaching little brother <laughs> uh, Brady is going to be a senior at Catholic high and uh, excited about, you know, football season, excited about going into a senior year of high school. And so uh, the boys are doing good. The boys are doing real good. Jill's doing great. Uh, we just got back from a big wedding in New Orleans. Her niece got married. So all is good in the Moffitt household right now. Well, that's what, I mean, I, you alluded to Catholic high school. I mean, that's where you got your start. Was it in track and field? Uh, how, how was yeah. your start? Did you know much about yeah, track and field? Of course. Don't I look like a track guy? So, um, <laughs> you know, I got, uh, I got my start, uh, so when I graduated from tech, you know, the universities, you know, they, you know, most of your universities had one strength coach and it was either somebody that they had gotten out of the kinesiology department or an old football coach that had been demoted. So there just weren't a lot of jobs available. So I applied everywhere and I ended up getting my first job at a non-denominational Christian school in New Orleans, uh, Louisiana. And a friend of mine that I played football with at Tech played there and was coaching there at the time. And uh, the strength coach at Curtis left to go to Tulane and it kind of created a position for me there. So, um, and it was it was an awesome experience, and still I think one of my better better jobs uh, because I got to do so much. I, I I was an assistant track coach. I did the sprints and the jumps. I programmed for the sprints, jumps, hurdles, uh, and I I'm built like a sprinter, you know, so that helped me a lot there. <laughs> um, I was the head wrestling coach. We had a weightlifting team. I coached offensive line and I was in the weight room all day. So instead of our athletes going to physical education, they came to advanced PE, which was strength and conditioning. And, and the thing that, that, that taught me a lot about coaching because 
I was having to coach so many people in so many different sports. And so it taught me a lot about our profession and about programming and writing workouts. So, uh, and we were successful, Brandon, in track and field. We won, uh, we won our district and region a couple of times while I was at Curtis and uh, I had to learn to host a meet. You know, I didn't know anything about that. But now I have an excuse about my distance training. Okay. And I know, <laughs> I know where this is going. Uh, but because I was the head wrestling coach in the fall during football season, I had to program for my wrestlers and you know, we would practice a little bit in the morning time and in the afternoons, I would tell them what they were supposed to do while I was going to football practice. So I didn't have much experience with cross country. So I know where this is going. So Harrison, you can ask your next question. <laughs> I think we'll get to where eventually you want to go. Yeah. But, you know, you, you alluded to this. Aaron asked about, you know, college yeah. and starting out in college. Is that a theme, common theme now? Or, yeah. you know, how, how great was it that you started in high school versus college? And um, is it common that players or coaches want yeah. to start at a power five school and then go from there? Most, you know, most of the young coaches that uh, that I have met and that we hired as interns, uh, they all uh, – their plan, every one of them uh, had a plan of moving on, you know, and being a, in a power five conference and coaching in college. And, you know, it's just not that easy all the time. And we had some guys that were very blessed and very lucky. But whenever guys started looking for jobs, the first thing that I would tell them was about my experience as a high school strength and conditioning coach, because you don't, um, you know, you don't get the best of the best. You're not getting five-star players. You're getting, you know, five, seven, and five, eight, 225-pound offensive guards. And, you know, you're getting guys that aren't your prototypical football player, and you have to spend a lot of time developing them. And then you're beating the halls to find guys to run track. And, you know, our, we had a great athletic department, and, we had a lot of good guys that ran track for us, but we needed uh, high jumpers. We needed hurdlers. And uh, in fact, we had a hurdler that didn't play any other sport that we got to come out to run track. And he signed a scholarship with Mississippi State, uh, was a state champion in, uh, and ran the hurdles, I think maybe for two years, signed an SEC scholarship to run hurdles. Um, uh, from Mississippi State, and we found him walking the halls of our school, and so it teaches you a lot about it. And, and we've had a couple of guys that have gone on to coach in high school, and they love it. And then there's been other guys that got out of strength and conditioning because the only jobs that were available at that time were at a high school or were non-football coaching positions and they didn't want to have to coach another sport but um you know i wouldn't take um i wouldn't take anything for the time that i got to spend coaching at john curtis yeah and now we're going to go down the avenue that you were waiting for i wanted to get that background first uh, but you coached yeah. brandon at tennessee after coaching yes. in high school that's that's where you went first college right that was right. your first college coaching gig yes what yeah. was your nickname for that crazy crew uh, they were the weasels. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they were the weasels, you know. And, but now, and uh, it wasn't a bad nickname for them, but, you know, they were, you know, because I went there to be a strength coach for football. And uh, when I got the job, he was like, oh, yeah, you're going to train track and field, uh, which I was fine with because, I, I mean, I loved my time, but I had no experience with cross country at all whatsoever. And these guys, they weren't there to run the 100 and do the 5,000 or they weren't there to run, you know, uh, hurdles and, and, you know, run the mile or the 1,600, whatever y'all call that. But, uh, yeah, so it was a blast. So that fall, my first fall there, in addition to working with football, I was introduced to our cross-country team. And we had some – we had a great distance team. 
so we had some great runners, but man, they were a handful. What made them so good? I asked Brandon this on our first podcast, but I want your opinion too. What what made the distance guys so good or the track team so good? Early 90s Tennessee track team was really good. Okay. Yeah, really good. Uh, well, like, uh, they, we had a bunch of tough, hard-nosed guys. Uh, we had some guys on the team that were, you know, you would say they were a-holes, you know, uh, but in a good way, not in a bad way. They were, uh, they had swagger, um, and they went to the track meet with their chest stuck out and, you know, we're like, we're, you know, if we can't beat you on the track, we'll beat you up. In, <laughs> in the locker room after? <laughs> in, in the, yeah, behind the bleachers after the meet. But, you know, and we had a lot of depth, man. We had depth at the distance. You know, we had two Olympians at pole vault. We had a gold and silver medal on the exact same track team. Uh, we had all American throwers, uh, and you know what? So we also had coaches that had that same attitude too, whether it was Doug Brown or Bill Webb. And then we had Vince Anderson, you know, who coached, I, th I guess Vince is now retired. We had coach O. So we had a bunch of coaches that had the same swagger, the same attitude, uh, the same toughness. I mean, we had some tough, tough guys on that track team. Again, the type of guys that, you know, if if you didn't watch it, we we would fight, you know, after the meet. And uh, I'm not condoning that type of behavior, but that's the type of individuals. Every team that I've ever coached has had coaches that had that mentality, and they've had leaders on their team with that mentality. Uh, and so I think it's the depth and all the different disciplines, uh, the throws, the jumps, the vault, the distance, the sprinters. Uh, it was just a, a collection of a lot of talented human beings that were tough. There's a really funny story about um, your early, early, one of your first meets maybe where you kind of were getting on to yeah. Brandon and the guys about their scoring. I'd love for you to take it from here. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> first of all, the track, the distance guys, I don't think Brandon and correct me if I'm wrong, y'all hadn't done a lot of strength training, but I remember when I took over, uh, one of the things that there, there had been some, uh, injuries that they had had in the past and, uh, they wanted, you know, me to train the distance guys. And, you know, I was all in whether I was going to be training the track and field team or the baseball team or tennis, I was going to go all in and do everything I could to do to help. So we went back and looked at all the injuries that the distance team had had over a certain period of time. And so they said, yeah, we want you to train them. So, you know, we start training and we did it. We, there was a progression. We just didn't start going in the weight room and lifting barbells and stuff. We did a, you know, we did a phase of just of nothing but body weight exercises. And then we switched to dumbbells and stuff. So it was progressive in nature and it was sports specific. But these guys would always complain. My legs are sore. My arms are sore. <laughs> and so we were getting ready for, I guess it was, a, was it a, I'm sure it was a home meet because they were making a big deal out of this meat and we got to be rested and we're doing too much. So, I, <laughs> so uh, I remember looking in the paper Sunday morning and I looked at the paper and it was like Tennessee one, Florida seven, Alabama 12, you know, and I'm looking, I'm like, we got our butts kicked. <laughs> These guys were complaining. I didn't know anything about cross-country score. And it's the exact opposite of track and field. If I win an event in track, I get 10 points. And But in cross-country, it's not like that. The lowest score wins. So these guys come into the weight room on Monday all giddy and laughing, and I lit them up like, what are you guys, what's so funny? We got our butts kicked, and they're looking at me like, what is this crazy psycho talking about? And they were like, coach, the lowest <laughs> score wins. So that's that was my introduction to cross-country scoring, which I still don't understand. <laughs> it's fairly simple, Tommy. You get one point for your place, and then you add up the total number. Yeah. All right. Well, whatever. 
We're going to revisit that story because it was in the middle of about 25 burpees that we decided that Tommy hadn't yeah. figured out how cross country is scored. <laughs> yeah, Tommy, what's so different about coaching, you know, now in 2020 and the early 2020s versus those 90? What, what's the difference? Uh, so I, the kids necessarily haven't changed that much. Um, because great players want to be pushed, they want to be challenged, uh, and they want to work hard. Uh, but I think uh, a lot has changed around them, you know, uh, with social media uh, that has given a lot more exposure to a lot of things. Uh, parents have changed, school systems have changed. Um, and then there's so much more technology available. Uh, so coaching has gotten more finite and less, uh, you know, so early in my career, you know, you made your decisions based on experience and intuition and a little bit of information that was out there. Uh, but to you know, I could turn on Instagram right now and get more information on the start and acceleration uh, that was available in most of your journals of strength and conditioning. You know, you'd open a journal uh, on strength and conditioning in the early 80s, and there might be one article on speed development. And most of it came there was a guy named Brett McFarlane who was the national hurdle coach in Canada. There was Ben Taboshnik, a guy that defected. There's Tudor Bumper. There just uh, there was um, Charlie Francis who who didn't really become come on the scene until after Ben Johnson had his success in the Olympics. I guess. Um, 90, 88 to 92 uh, no, in the 88, 88. Yeah. 88 to 92. So there just wasn't a lot of information then. And now you click on Instagram or Twitter and it's, you're just, there's just so much more that's available out there. So I guess that's the thing that I have seen that changed that has changed the most. But now I don't think the players have changed that much, but I think the, all the stuff around the players has changed. You know, I, I, I totally agree with you. You see, a, we've seen a huge jump in American middle distance and distance performance. And uh, you can, you can blame it on track technology and shoe technology, but for the most part, it's open source training these days. I mean, in the nineties, you would never be able to see what Todd Williams and pro distance runners were doing. And it was kept secret. Now you can pull up Instagram and you can see exactly what the whole crew of distance run pro distance runners are doing. But in that same vein, how much do you feel like our pseudo experts out there just throwing out stuff that has no scientific background? It's all anecdotal. What are you, right. what are your thoughts on that? Well, and I think, uh, that is very true. Um, because you can, uh, through SEO, search engine optimization, and you can pay to be on top in Google. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do to enhance uh, your notoriety and your exposure. And a lot of these people, you know, if, if I train, and there's a lot of good people out there, don't get me wrong, uh, but there are a lot of people that, uh, attach themselves to certain athletes to make themselves appear uh, better or more successful or more knowledgeable than what they really are. And then, you know, a little bit of knowledge is dangerous too, especially with a lot of the, the technology that is available to everyone today. Uh, you you can look at it and make these assertions about what you see in the data stream. Um, but one day you might be running indoors and then the next day you're running outdoors and your data gets skewed. Or if you're looking at a group, if you're looking at a data set with a group, take for instance, football. And if you have a group of uh, skill position players 
a group of uh, what I call mid-skill players, but linebackers, and then a group of linemen, you can have three players doing something similar. And if you look at that data set as a whole versus uh, you know, separating that data based on body weight and experience and chronological age and training age and all of that, then you just have a bunch of data points there that are meaningless. Um, and so, yeah, you have to be careful what data you're looking at and, um, and who you're listening to. So you leave Tennessee and then go to the University of Miami. What year was that and what led that decision to do that? Yeah. So, um, first of all, my wife and I, we loved our time in Knoxville. Uh, but I wanted to be a head strength coach. And when I took the job at Tennessee, I was naive and thought that I was going to be there forever. It was going to be the last college stop that I ever made. But so that was one of the reasons why I left is because I wanted to be a head strength coach. And, um, and then, you know, Clay was born and, you know, we wanted to have more kids and, you know, more, you know, the more kids you have, the more money you spend. So I needed, I needed more money. And so we were in Miami, uh, we were playing Nebraska in the orange bowl and I was just sitting in the lobby one day and, uh, Larry Coker walked in and introduced himself to me and, um, and sat down beside me and we just started talking and he was the offensive coordinator at Miami and he, he had coached at Wichita state with uh, coach Stuckey, coach Fulmer and some of the other guys on our staff. And so about midway through our conversation, he just came up and came out and said, would you be interested in taking the head job at Miami? Uh, we just made a change and we have a spot open and, and, uh, um, I think I can get you an interview. So I said, absolutely, coach. So the next day, uh, Jill and I and Clay actually drove over to Core Gables. Uh, it was the day before the game, and I interviewed. I met Coach Davis and interviewed with Coach Davis, and he offered me the job there. And, you know, it was Miami. And as a kid growing up, you know, in Middle Tennessee, you know, in the wintertime, because we didn't have a professional team at the time, and, and – I, you know, I was a big football fan. And so you would see um, the people in the stands at the Dolphins games and they don't have their shirts on. You know, we're we're up there freezing our tails off, you know, scooted <laughs> up against the fire trying to stay warm. And the kids in Miami are their shirts are off and they're you could at the old Orange Bowl. There were palm trees in the end zone. And you could see the palm trees. And so, you know, what better place to start your coaching career than the Miami Hurricanes, you know, the great Miami Hurricanes. So it was it was a great opportunity and it allowed me, you know, to start my career as a head collegiate strength coach. And we we took it. Uh, so while at Miami, I'm going to list a couple, some serious dudes' names that you got a chance to coach and yeah. be around. Any stories or anecdotes that you have or, or how they trained, I, I'd love to hear it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list some of those names. Yeah. Edgerin James, Nate Webster, Dan Morgan, who's now the assistant GM at the Panthers, Santana Moss, Reggie Wayne, Jeremy Shockey, Philip Buchanan, Clinton Portis, and Ed Reed. Yeah. Holy NFL roster, Tommy. Yeah, some, uh, first of all, tough. You know, they were like the the Tennessee track team, you know. Uh, they they had some tough dudes. And, you know, so one guy, Ken Dorsey, was our quarterback, who's now the offense coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. And the list goes on and on and on. And so when I first got there, uh, you know, the first thing I wanted to do was introduce myself to the players, you know. So – I got I took the job the week uh, before we started training. So I was in the weight room moving equipment around and the players were coming in to, to meet me. And the thing that struck me more than anything was that these guys, how clean cut they were, uh, how articulate they were. Um, 
and I, and I, I found out quick that although they were the Miami Hurricanes, these guys were sharp, man. And I went so far as to ask God, what was your ACT score? You know, I'd coached at Tennessee. We had some good players. <laughs> and, but not the but brightest bulbs in the box. Was, Come on. <laughs> yeah. So I would say, what was your ACT score coming out of high school? What was your GPA? And, and you know, at the time – and. I think Miami allowed some provisions, you know, because Miami is a private school and it's a small school. It's a really small campus. Uh, but, you know, those guys were and you know, Edron James was one of the smartest guys on our team. And, and, you know, I've said this a lot. Uh, uh, his uh, NFL Hall of Fame speech was phenomenal. Uh, he said it without any notes. It came from the heart. But you can tell how how bright and how articulate that Edron James was. And um, there were other guys like him. Ed Reed was incredibly bright. Uh, Ed Reed, you know, was a Big East uh, javelin champion, too. We uh, we those guys all, you know, signed up to run track at Miami. And so we had a guy. He's not in that list, but his name was Aaron Moser. And he was a decathlete in high school. And, and a decathlete at UM, but he played on the football team. And so he comes out on his first throw at the home meet and broke the school record, you know, in the javelin. And then Ed Reed walks out there, takes the javelin and runs, shoo, and broke Aaron's record and set the record for the University of Miami javelin. And Ed had thrown the javelin while he ran track here at Tennessee. And, you know, we had guys like Najee Davenport, that's not on your list, and Santana Moss, and all of these guys that were just competitive, hard-nosed, competitive, articulate, smart, and uh, unbelievable guys. Unbelievable. In the list, you know, there's Bubba Franks, who played for the Green Bay Packers, and uh, Brett Romberg, Vernon Carey who played probably eight or nine years for the Dolphins and, you know, uh, Damian Lewis, who's now, uh, and Mike Rump, Damian Lewis is coaching in the NFL. He, he was a, a quality control guy here for a while, but I think he's a defensive line coach now at the Seattle Seahawks. Mike Rump uh, is a college uh, football coach. And then our, our secondary coach was Chuck Pagano, who went on to win a Super Bowl as the head coach for uh, the Colts. So we had an incredible roster. We had uh, great coaches, tough, hard-nosed, intelligent players. And when you have that and, – and everyone plays together, you, you, know, you have uh, the recipe for success. So Tommy, do you think do you think Ed Reed could outthrow Ryan Jumanville in the javelin? Absolutely not. He's <laughs> <laughs> he's a Catholic high bear. So no. Uh, uh, you know what? I'll check that score. Let's 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 check. Have to the, check on that. That'd be interesting. Yeah, let's, June could sling yeah. it. Yeah, uh, but he's also a Catholic high great. So uh, I'm going to have to give him the benefit of the doubt. That's hilarious. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't name, I could have named that whole roster and you would have sat there and gone through everybody. I just named a couple dudes that everybody might recognize because that it was just so loaded. Did that attract you? Did you know that at the time you signed up to be the head guy? Well, so honestly, um, no, I didn't, I hadn't paid any attention, you know, to Miami and um, when I sat down in the lobby that day, the last thing I was thinking about was becoming the next head strength coach of the Miami Hurricanes because our roster at Tennessee was loaded at the time. And if you if you would take uh, that roster from Tennessee and the roster from the from the University of Miami at the time, you're looking at two of the you know two of the arguably two is maybe the top 10 rosters or maybe even the top five because we had guys like Cozy Coleman and and uh, Peyton Manning, of course, Peerless Price. And at the time, our running back room was loaded. 
so, you know, we had uh, Leonard Little and Al Wilson and, you know, guys, Terry Fair, who was a first-round draft pick at corner. So, no, I didn't know anything. The only thing that I did know is that the Miami Hurricanes were in a slump. And uh, they, they had had uh, the year before I took the job. And the reason, one of the reasons why I got the job is because they had had, I think, the worst one of the worst seasons in over 20 years. I, you know, they, uh, they'd had a 52 game home win streak that had gotten broken that year, 52 consecutive home wins. It's amazing. Uh, and, you know, same scenario, uh, you know, prior to, you know, coach Fulmer becoming head football coach at Tennessee, Tennessee was coming off one of the worst, seasons in a long time so that kind of you know sets the stage for guys losing their jobs so no i knew nothing about the roster uh, all i knew is it was a an opportunity for me to be a head strength coach and i knew the tradition of the miami hurricanes and so i took the job and in 2000 i think is when you took the lsu job right after you won the college football strength and conditioning coach yeah. of the year one of many i think yeah. it to your name uh, what facilitated the change after two years in, in Coral Gables? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, although I was a head coach and I got a raise, um, I still wasn't making, you know, and we had Aaron. So Clay was born in Knoxville. Aaron was born in Miami. And uh, we were a long way away from, you know, we were probably 12 hours from New Orleans and, you know, maybe 16 hours from or more from Nashville, you know, where my family was. So we were we were far from home. Uh, it was expensive to live there. And I knew that Coach Davis uh, was going to be he Coach Davis wanted to be a uh, NFL head football coach. Mm. And I just, you know, at the time of where I was in my career and my love for collegiate football, I knew that at my age, I wasn't one ready. And two, uh, I wasn't interested in just being a, a string coach in the NFL. And so um, funny story, Jill and I, so we were playing, uh, we were playing Georgia Tech in the, uh, in the uh, uh, Gator Bowl. Uh, in Jacksonville. And so Jill and I and the boys, Aaron's a baby, a toddler, and uh, Clay at the, Clay was probably four and a half, five years old at the time. Uh, the university paid us to drive to Jacksonville for the bowl game. You could either ride on the bus for free or get paid to drive your own car. So I said, hey, man, we need the mileage. We need the money, babe. Let's go. So we were driving. And my mother-in-law called and said, um, LSU just hired a new football coach, Nick Saban, and Pete Jenkins, who was the D-line coach at LSU while I was coaching at Curtis, just got hired uh, at LSU. Uh, wouldn't it be neat if they called Tommy? So my wife hangs up. You know, we had she had a gigantic cell phone, one of the big, you know, <laughs> big cell phones. <laughs> Yeah, she was talking on, and I was like, my wife's like, LSU's going to call you. And I'm like, no, they're not. They just hired it. And they had literally just hired a guy like eight months before. And I said, no, LSU's got a great string coach. They're not going to call. And so that night, um, we're putting the kids to sleep. Um, and um, we just, you know, we got into the hotel, and the boys are – in bed and Jill and I are sitting there watching something on TV and the phone rang and it's my mother-in-law. And she said, Pete Jenkins just called and asked for your number. And Jill's brother played at Tennessee. So coach Jenkins had recruited Billy and had still had my mother-in-law's phone number. And so uh, coach Jenkins called my mother-in-law and she gave him the number. So I'm like, hang up, hang up. So Jill hangs up with her mom. And about two minutes later, Coach Jenkins called and said, hey, Tommy, I've got, I've, you know, I got the job at LSU. Uh, Nick Saban, our, our new head football coach, wants to talk to you about the job at LSU. And I almost 
fell off the couch and passed <laughs> out. And so I got on the phone with Nick and in classic Nick form, like I was trying to take the job. Um, and in classic Nick form, he's like, look, I just called to see if you're interested. I'm not offering you the job. I can't offer you the job without interviewing. You're going to have to come here and interview. So I told him, well, just just so you know, I'll take the job if you offer it. And, <laughs> and so, you know, because I'd spent six years of coaching high school football here. Uh, I knew the landscape. I knew that we had great players in the state. And I knew that it was a Southeastern Conference job. It was going to pay more. And, you know, people say it's never about the money, you know, nothing's ever about the money, but really, you know, it's in most business decisions it's or career decisions, it's all about the money. And so that played a key role in it. And so, um, so that's how it all started. So you have three titles. Is that right? Three national titles? Yes. Three titles. Tennessee won the year after I left. Miami won one the year after I left, so I don't get to take credit for that. <laughs> what did those teams have in common? Well, so the same same thing, man. Uh, competitive players, um, guys, and it didn't matter. Like at Miami, we had a pool table, we had a card table, um, and a, like a little bumper pool table, and those guys competed all the time. There was a auxiliary basketball gym. So the locker room, the training room, the weight room, and the, pra the practice gym for the basketball teams were all, you know, in the same area of the athletic department at Miami. And those guys were always competing. Um, and so you, if you don't have a roster filled with guys that want to compete at everything, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be successful. So, number one, they were highly competitive. They were mentally tough and, you know, they were great athletes, both, you know, whether it was uh, Coach Coach Majors, Coach Fulmer, uh, Coach Butch Davis and Pete Garcia, who was our director of football ops there at Miami, were, were uh, just incredible recruiters. And Coach Sabian was the same and arguably one of the better you know, if not the best, the second best talent pool in the country. I mean, we produced the likes of Brandon Alley in track and field. That's right, baby. So, <laughs> so, you know, you have, you know, you have a climate here that is conducive to training year around. And so, um, you know, great players, smart players, you got players that got to be smart, you know, uh, there's room for a few mouth breathers on the team, uh, but you know you got to make sure that you've got really, really smart guys on your roster, and that's probably, you know, the things that are most common that you know on the surface without digging deeper into it, you know, and and great coaches too. You got to have great coaches. And you survived three coaching changes. Is that correct? What were the cultures yeah. that were cultivated, I guess, by Saban, Les, yeah. Coach O? How were they different if they were? Yeah. Well, so there there are similarities uh, between all three of them. And they all three love football. Love it. I mean, it's a part of who they are as people. Um, and they all three came up through some incredible systems, uh, whether, you know, if you're looking at, you know, Coach Saban, you know, the people that he played for, the coaches that he coached for, um, and with Coach Miles, you know, being a Michigan man, and then Coach O. So all of those guys, well, like Butch Davis, when Butch Davis played at Arkansas, you know, they, uh, Lou Holtz was on the staff. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was a player. Uh, the the owner of the Dallas Cowboys was was a player. JT Curtis, the high school coach that I coached for, was on that team. So the roster and the type of people that those men were coached by and their love for the game, uh, they were all three great recruiters. Uh, and recruiting was something that all three of those guys uh, uh, took very seriously. And and many times uh, recruiting and recruiting coaches 
took precedence over football minds and football uh, knowledge. Um, and Coach Sabian would tell you, I can teach you. He used to tell me all the time, anybody can teach somebody to bench press. But Coach Saban uh, felt like he could coach a secondary coach to coach the position, but it takes a special person to sit in the home of a young man and convince his mom, his dad, his, his aunties, uh, uh, the importance of an education and why LSU was the place for him to go to school. And, and I think that is something that, that they all three took very seriously. And then their mentality about practice, um, you know, Coach Saban's practice is highly organized, very physical. And I can remember how tough a Thursday practice was. <laughs> I mean, our Thursday practices were hell under Coach Saban. And then Coach Miles is notorious. Uh, when we when uh, so when, the, you know, luckily I got I got to stay and when the coaches, the coaching staff that he assembled and the guys that he brought from Oklahoma State, uh, they were telling me, hey, coach, man, you better get them ready because those practices are going to be three and four hours long. And they weren't kidding. And then uh, and then Coach O's practices were more like uh, Coach Saban's. They were highly organized. They were a little more crisp, but they were physical, you know, practices. And so, you know, they were all very similar in some regard in some areas that I think you have to have if you're going to be successful at this level. And then the, their personalities of all three were different. You know, their hobbies, their lifestyles, all of that was different. Um, but and the way they handled their staff. And the team was all different, but the things that were common was, you know, tough, hard-nosed men, uh, an incredible love for the game, and great recruiters. It's Tommy Moffat, former LSU strength conditioning coach. You lived a lot of life, coached a lot of places. We appreciate your time today. Absolutely, thank you, guys. I appreciate I appreciate you, and and I'm I'm honored to be on here. Really.